Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. A uh, special welcome to you. If you are here for the very first time to Bethel Church, we are so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Pastor Eric is not here today in the pulpit, but he's scheduled to be here next week. Uh, I believe he's uh, planning to do uh, what are the Psalms of Ascent, one of my favorite sections of the psalm book. So that should be great. Quick update. Uh, those of you, how many of you guys came to the rummage sale either Friday or Saturday here? Quite a few of you. Uh, great news. Uh, uh, Mark has informed me that they brought in about $4,000 or so. Yeah. This is uh, money that's going towards the uh, youth missions trip over to the Czech Republic this summer. And uh, that's, uh, that's great. It's still just a drop in the bucket. You can imagine how much it costs to fly over a dozen people to the Czech Republic. Uh, but there's going to be a barbecue coming up, I believe, in July. Uh, so you can buy like 50 hot dogs or something like that to help those uh, students make it over there this summer. So uh, let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word here. Lord, it's just encouraging, uh, Lord, uh, that people came out for the rummage sale and are, are even in things like uh, buying and selling stuff, Lord, are working towards uh, sending these people over there to, uh, to serve this summer. Thanks for that. Thanks for the beautiful creation you put around us, as Psalm 19 reminds us, Lord. Um, and thanks for your word. Uh, we want to turn our ears to you and what you have to say to us in our psalm this morning. Uh, my prayer is that you, Holy Spirit, would just be touching people's hearts, bringing things to their own individual memories, Lord, that uh, ways that they've experienced, each one of us have experienced you in our own lives. Uh, guide us in this time. Help us to honor you and to love you more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, I want us to just start by talking about kind of a fun topic, unfinished business, right? We've all got some. Uh, and even when I say those words, maybe something pops up in your mind that you know that you've got something on your list that needs to get done, and you've known about it for quite some time, maybe, but you just haven't gotten around to it yet. For some of you, that might be a home repair that is in your mind right now, even as I speak. Uh, for others of you, it might be something financial, like starting a college fund for your kids, or maybe starting a retirement account. And yet, for others of you, that unfinished business might be finally figuring out what that check engine light is all about <laughs> for the past three years. Uh, whatever it is, I hope that your unfinished business is something small and easy to take care of. Unfinished business can come in all different kinds of sizes. Uh, one of my uh, bits of unfinished business is not something terribly pressing. Uh, part of my unfinished business is to read Moby Dick. And that might sound like a strange thing to have on your uh, unfinished business list, but I have a history with this book. Uh, I went to uh, college as an English lit major, and the worst class I had to take was a class on Herman Melville and his classic, Moby Dick. And... Uh, I slacked pretty badly in that class. The class was two hours long, right after lunch. I mean, they're setting you up for failure, right? And they give you a very dry text, and I thought the lectures were dry as well. And I found a lot of excuses to go out to the field just outside that building and just soak up the sun. Um, I somehow made, it way through my, made my way through that class, but now I have this lingering guilt almost <laughs> that maybe I missed one of the greatest works of literature of all time. And so on my... Uh, unfinished business list, I have to read Moby Dick someday. And even though it's been on my list for years and may be on my list for years to come, I'll be honest, uh, it's hard to find the motivation to take something like that on, right? 
And when we're talking about something as unimportant about as, as reading a, a book, it's no big deal, uh, maybe in the long run, if I read it or not. Uh, but I want to suggest to you that there is a category of things on our to-do list that is important for all of us to take care of. And if some of the back burner items we have are on this particular list and they never get dealt with, there are some bigger things at stake. And the category of items that I'm talking about is the things on our spiritual unfinished business list, our spiritual to-do list. What I mean by this is probably a lot of us have a list, probably not a written list, of things that we feel that we ought to do in some way that relate to our walk with God. It's our spiritual to-do list, right? It might include something as straightforward as saying, you know, someday I really do need to get around and, and read through all of God's word. I've never done that. Or someday I've got to get our family to find a time during the week when we can do some family devotionals. It could be something more challenging, like knowing that we need to confront some kind of addiction in our life to painkillers or pornography. Uh, or it could be even something as daunting as taking care of a messy relationship with someone with whom we've had a falling out and things are really uncomfortable. These are the kinds of things uh, that are on our spiritual to-do list. These backburner items are unfinished business with God. And they're not easy to take on. And yet, just like me with Moby Dick, we know we can't put it off forever, right? Uh, with these more important things, there's costs uh, to putting off these spiritual things. Strained relationships with other people and with God, stunted spiritual maturity, and some stagnation in our Christian walk, maybe. And yet, we continue to put these things off. And our problem is not so much that we don't know what we should be doing or what God wants us to do, but like me with Moby Dick, we find we're having a hard time finding the motivation to do it. Uh, and we all know that the right kind of motivation can make a world of difference in dealing with these back burner kinds of things. Uh, I heard of one family recently. They have... Uh, Sounds like a pretty phenomenal house to-do list of things to take care of around their house. The honey-do list has been growing and growing and growing, and then uh, none of it getting done, and then all of a sudden a new motivation came in, and chick-chock, they're just taking things off that list. And that motivation for them is, family's coming. And if uh, something like a visit from Grandma Gertrude doesn't fire you up to <laughs> clean out your gutters and recalk your tub, well, I don't know what will. Um, and because the right motivation makes all the difference in our hard projects in our lives, I want to ask us this morning, how do we get motivated to take care of our unfinished business with God? Or to put it another way, what kind of fire do we need to stir up in our own hearts so that we're eager to take on our spiritual to-do list? What should our motivation be? So we're going to Take on that question as we look at the Psalms this morning. If you've been here with us this summer, you know we're going through a series on the Psalms. The Psalms are basically Israel's prayer book, and the Psalms cover all aspects of our human experience as we walk before God. The highs, the lows. Last week, uh, if you were here, you know we got to experience the very depth of the depths, a really hard genre of Psalm known as the individual lament. This week, yay, uh, we're not going to be there. We're going to be looking at the other end of the spectrum here and look at one of the highs of our lives walking before God and look at a category or a genre of psalm known as that of individual thanksgiving or individual thanks. 
Uh, I'm going to just define that individual thanks as a type of psalm. When someone who's gone through a hard time with something in their life uh, and God has brought them through the other side and that person is so blown away by what God has done, they have to say, wow, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. And this is the kind of psalm that we all love to read, right? So aren't you glad you weren't here last week if you skipped last week? Uh, The particular psalm that we're going to look at today is Psalm 116. I'll give you a second if you want to turn over there in your Bibles, Psalm 116. And again, as we dig into this psalm, we're going to try to answer that question. How do we get the right motivation to take care of our unfinished business with God? We're going to read Psalm 116 and hear of one person's experience of God's goodness and his love and how they got a newfound motivation to take on their own spiritual to-do list. We're going to start out by reading the first half of the psalm together. And as we read, just keep this in mind. The first thing the psalmist teaches us in the first half is that gratitude comes from considering God's goodness to us. Let's read the first half together here, starting in verse 1. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me, and I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. But then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God's full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord's been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Okay, let's just pause there. Uh, A little bit of background, a little bit more background on this particular psalm. Uh, We don't know uh, the author of this particular psalm. And we don't even know the particular problems that uh, he had gone through or had been delivered from. But uh, I chose this particular psalm because it seemed to me that it touched on a lot of the same themes and unresolved issues that we had last week from Psalm 88. Remember? Uh, Very dark psalm. But that being said, it's almost for certain that last week's psalm and this week's psalm are not by the same author. This is written in a little bit different dialect of Hebrew that came a few hundred years later. But I still find it fascinating that these two different people who were walking with God, who experienced God, uh, experienced some of the same things. And yet one of them was writing at the very lowest point in that experience. Another one was writing about those things after God had brought them through those dark times. Uh, So let's consider this. Gratitude comes from considering God's goodness to us. That's in the very first few verses of the psalm. It says, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The psalmist just starts out by considering that God has heard his prayer and saying, that's the reason that I love God. That's the reason that I'm going to continue in my devotion to him. My prayer was heard when I needed it. And what did we pray about? Well, we said we don't know specifics, but apparently it had to do with the life and death situation. This is kind of parallel to last week, right? We talked a lot about that. He says in verse 3, he says, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. 
I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. But what made the difference in this person's life is that they called out to God in prayer. And it says, verse 4, But then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. I just love the simplicity of that. Help. The psalmist was in some kind of trouble. He prayed. God answered. And this causes the psalmist to kind of reflect on the character of God as he's experienced him. The Lord is, verse 5, the Lord's gracious and righteous are God's full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. And these descriptors talk about the God we serve. And this psalmist is thinking about, wow, um, I've personally received the benefits of being in a covenant, in a relationship with a God who has character like that. Verse 6, he says, when I was in, in need, when I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Don't you just love those moments when you can see, wow, God has been really good to us. He summarizes what God has done in verse 8. He just says, you, O Lord, you've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. In other words, he's saying, you rescued my life whenever that specific situation was. You've taken away the grief and the sadness that I had been going through, and you took away the stumbling blocks. Uh, that were there in me walking with you. Uh, In all these things, uh, he's just blown away. And as the first half kind of wraps up, he sees that all this is for a reason, that God has a purpose for him in in his goodness. He doesn't say, Lord, you heard my prayers, you delivered my soul, you freed me from all my grief. Thanks a lot. I'll call you again next time in trouble. Uh, And then get get on with life, right? No, he says, you, Lord, delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. There's a purpose here, to walk before the Lord. And and that phrase there is used to talk about giving full attention to your relationship with God, even in the good times. He's saying, Lord, you've done all these things in my life so that I could walk better with you. And he's considering in this first half really all that God has done for him. He's answered his prayers. He's rescued his life. He's taken away his sorrow. And he's done all this for a purpose. That's good stuff. And he's overwhelmed with gratitude. He says, that's why I love you. That's why I'm going to keep on calling to you in devotion. You've been good to me and I'm thankful. Gratitude is really what comes from considering God's goodness to us. And that gratitude is vital uh, to what we're talking about today because our question is, how do we get motivated to take care of our unfinished business with God? And as we switch now to the second half of the psalm, we're going to see that we get the answer to that question that the psalmist discovered. And that's that it's, it's gratitude. Gratitude drives us to take care of our unfinished business with God. Let's read the second half of the psalm and talk about this. And just as you're listening through it or reading through it, consider how his life is changing as a result of his gratitude. Verse 10 says, I believed, therefore I said, I'm greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Lead now for the benefit of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I'm your servant. 
I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You've freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Lead now for the benefit of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord, in, the midst, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Well, this second half of the psalm starts out with these two quotes that might seem a little strange to us here. He says, uh, I'm greatly afflicted and all men are liars here. Uh, but what's really going on with these two particular quotes is he's going back and remembering that moment when he called out to God. And uh, both of these point that he's not relying on himself or his own strength. He's not relying on the strength of others, but he's relying on God. I would paraphrase that first statement, I'm greatly afflicted, is something like, uh, I knew I could depend on you, God, so I cried out to you, I need you big time. And interestingly, that's actually a pretty close translation there. I need you big time. Uh, that's the sense of it. Lord, I know I got nothing in myself that's going to fix the situation that I'm in. I got nothing, but you've got everything. And the second phrase, all men are liars, is uh, kind of along the lines of knowing he comes to the realization that people aren't dependable. If you lie, you misrepresent. People say, oh yeah, I'll do this for you. And he says, I found out that people can let you down, Lord, but you don't let me down. I'm not relying on myself. I got nothing. I'm not relying on other people because people can be undependable, but I'm calling out to you. So that's what those two statements are doing. They're recalling that moment when he calls out to God for help. And then we come to what I'm going to call the fulcrum of the psalm next. In verse 12, there's a big shift here. The psalmist asks, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? So the first half of the psalm, he's contemplating God's goodness. He's saying, wow, I have been really blessed. But now in the second half, he starts saying, well, how can I be good towards God? I've received so much. God has been so good to me. I got to do something here, right? How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? But what can you do? What can you get for a God who owns everything? What can we do for God? But when I hear uh, this very simple question from the psalmist, I hear the voice of someone who's been blown away by God's goodness. He, he says, he realizes that he received so much that he's been humbled. And he knows his life is not going to be the same. And that's how it is for us. When we receive grace from God and we see it for the amazing, powerful thing that it is, it humbles us and changes the way that we live. Uh, just to, as an illustration of this, I remember um, many years ago, uh, I had the fun job of uh, working in Christian TV and radio, and I was in a little regional office over in the UK, and uh, one of my assignments was to go to Africa. Fun assignment. I've never been to Africa before, before that point, and uh, my boss basically handed me a plane ticket, a camera, a tripod, and said, go over there, and I want you to follow this group of local churches that are doing basically a student evangelistic movement. They're showing the Jesus uh, movie in different villages. Go get some footage of that and come on back. I thought, hey, sounds great. So I went to uh, what was just prior to that uh, known as the second poorest country in the world. It's Burkina Faso. You may never have even heard of it. It's a sub-Saharan country, landlocked, uh, no joke, kind of, you know, kind of a pun, dirt poor, because there's a lot of dirt there because of the Sahara. And uh, I was having a great time. I got to meet the local pastor who was heading up this, this movement here, going out into the villages. And he loaded us up with the team. Uh, I got to go from the capital city, which was, you know, hardly anything, you know, a blip on the radar. 
uh, down dirt roads full of ruts and, and mud and all the rest uh, to the middle of nowhere, literally. And I got to see these, these students growing in their faith. And then at night, there'd be evangelistic campaigns. It was great. And uh, it was along the middle of my time there. In a very, it, was, it was hot in Burkina, right? And uh, it was quiet because it's the village. There's not much machinery. And all of a sudden, we hear a putt, 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 putt. And a man was driving into the village on a moped. I thought, okay. So he gets off his moped and he greets the head pastor there and they exchange some warm greetings. And then the man goes to the back of his moped and he had a little like metal case there. He opens it up and he pulls out two bottles of Coke, right? And uh, you could tell that uh, someone had, either him or someone else had put a lot of effort into purchasing these bottles of Coke. I mean, they were beaten up glass. They'd been used many, many times. Uh, but they bought them in the capital city and found some way to kind of keep them cold. And they drove them for hours on these dirt roads. Uh, these two bottles of Coke. And he hands them, and he gives one to the head pastor. And this is, this is a large group of students and other pastors in the, in the nation here. And he gives one to the pastor. Uh, he, he drinks it. And then he turns and gives the other one to me. And I'm like, whoa, no way. Uh, I can get Coke all the time. Seriously, I'm fine. I really, I, it, what overcame me was really a, a strong sense of embarrassment. Because I thought I can get Coke anytime I want, right? You know, I live in the West. It's, I just go to the store. Uh, but here they were. They went to all this effort, all this cost uh, to give me this amazing gift. And I was like, no, I can't take that. And, uh, you know, there's a crowd around us. And I could see from the head pastor, he was kind of eyeing me like, you better drink that. <laughs> and the students and the other pastors were looking at me and saying, you better drink that. I'm thinking, I'm just the camera guy, you know, and what give it to this guy? He's the pastor of an entire village. This guy stayed up all night to, to get our equipment working. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a choice. I had to take the Coke because they wanted me to, and it was their gift to me. And it was humbling. And that's what grace is like. Uh, it's, a, it's a cold drink in a hot place, hot and dusty place, something we don't deserve. And um, it changes your attitude. It's, uh, grace is a powerful thing. It humbles us. And when we see it for what it is, it changes us. It's like um, when Peter is with Jesus in the boat and he catches this miraculous catch of fish, right? What does Peter do? He, he kind of falls down on his knees and said, Lord, <laughs> depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, he says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisherman. That's grace. But your life will be radically changed by the gratitude that comes from receiving his grace. And that's what I hear in this question, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And his answer to, to that question is that there's going to be a radical life change in his life. There's going to be a movement towards him taking care of his unfinished business with God. He says in verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Lead now for the benefit of all his people. And note those same lines he repeats a second time at the end of the psalm with a little bit of a twist. Seven, verse 17, he says almost the exact same thing. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. 
I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Lead now for the sake, for the benefit of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And the punch in these verses really comes from the fact that he's talking about fulfilling his vows. He says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. And as uh, New Testament believers, we, we don't really talk a lot about making vows to God or vowing to God, right? We know from in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, so we don't make vows to God, really. Uh, but to people in the Old Testament, they would have been familiar with this kind of concept. One commentator, I thought this was colorful, he says, a vow is kind of like a credit card act of worship. The person making the vow would more or less say, God, if you give me X today or whenever, I will give you Y when I'm able to, right? This is the, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, right? We're familiar with that? Okay. Uh, examples of this in the book of Genesis, Jacob, when he's uh, fleeing for his life, essentially, he says, God, if you will protect me and provide for me and bring me back safely, I'll serve you and give you a tenth of all that you give me. Maybe you remember in the book of 1 Samuel, Hannah, uh, who was unable to conceive, says, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you to serve you all the days of his life. And there's, there's lots of other examples there. But this is a vow. It's like a spiritual credit card. So when the psalmist says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord, it's like he's saying, it's time to take care of my spiritual credit card. All that stuff that I've been intending to do in my walk with God, all that back burner, unfinished business, I'm going to do it. And it's his gratitude that fuels him to take care of business. And we don't know exactly what his unfinished business was, but it probably had something to do with the leading of God's people in worship because he says twice here, he says, lead now for the benefit of all his people there. And uh, your translation might have something slightly different in verses 14 and 18. It might say something like, in the presence of all his people. But I think that the lead now for the benefit of all his people is actually a little bit better translation there. But either way you translate it, the idea here is the psalmist has some kind of obligation, not just to God, but to other people in helping them to know God and worship him. There's something he had to do. Maybe he had to lead him in praise and worship or just lead him by example. But his decision was going to end up impacting others. Uh, but whatever the specific thing it was for him to do, his back burner stuff he was putting off, it doesn't seem like it's easy for him, right? It seems like he's almost trying to work him up uh, for the challenge at hand here. He's talking to himself and it's like he's saying, come on now, you got to do this. Other people's faith is resting on this. Lead now for the benefit of all his people. Do this in the presence of his people. And after he rallies himself by saying, I'm going to do it. I got to do it here. He reminds himself of his bedrock commitment to God. He says in verse 16, O Lord, truly I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. So he's, he's like in the, the midst of searching for his resolve. And he says, you know what? I'm all in. You freed me, God. And so I'm going to be fully committed to you in this. And then his resolve passes the tipping point as we move to the last part of the psalm here. Verse 18, he says the same thing again, but with a little bit of change here. He says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Lead now for the benefit of all his people. But then he adds a little bit more. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And with those extra, few extra words, we get uh, what's a climactic ending really to this psalm. It's almost like the second time around, he's visualizing himself, fulfilling his vows, doing what he said he would do, uh, actually in the midst of the people in Jerusalem, in God's temple. 
And this radical change in his life, his motivation to take care of his unfinished business comes from his gratitude. Gratitude is what drives us to take care of our unfinished spiritual business with God. I just want to close here with a brief illustration. Uh, The best sermon I ever heard in my life uh, was when I was about 20 years old, and it was from someone who never even went to Bible school. Uh, And it was from someone who was the same age as myself. Uh, His his name is Mike, a buddy of mine. And he and I and a group of others of us were at a church uh, that we went to in college on a Friday afternoon, empty church, but we were all kind of moving chairs around to help set up for some kind of dinner thing that the church was putting on. And as we were grabbing chairs from the sanctuary, my, my buddy Mike, kind of feeling a little cheeky, uh, climbs up on the stage and gets behind the pulpit, looks out over the empty room, and it was a large room, and uh, he starts playing preacher to an empty house, right? And he says, I can't do it perfectly, but I'll do my best. He says, listen up, people. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for you and rose again from the dead. Brief pause. What are you doing still sitting there? Go out and tell someone. (laughs) And we laughed. But there's a germ of truth to that that hit me and resonates with me. That's the best sermon I ever heard, almost in its entirety, right? Because it shows you that gratitude is a game changer. When we realize what God has done for us, when we realize just all the goodness he's shown in our lives, especially through the cross, it's not going to be a problem to motivate us to live for him and to talk to other people about him. We're going to be jumping out of our seats and saying, I can't control myself. I've got to go do something. I've got to go tell. There's motivation there. If you want to get motivated to take care of your back burner business with God, if you want to have a more vibrant spiritual life or have the motivation even to share the gospel with other people. Just spend some time thinking and dwelling on what he's done for you. And that's our application for all of us this week. Consider the prayers that he's answered. Maybe some of you uh, have been more uh, diligent than I have in, in making a prayer journal over the years. Maybe this is the week to pull out that prayer journal and just kind of grab a cup of coffee and read through it and see how God's answered prayers. Maybe it's just some time kind of reflecting on your life and seeing the things you didn't even pray for where God's shown his faithfulness and goodness to you. Maybe like the psalmist did, consider his character. And for all of us, consider the cross. Look at what he did to reconcile uh, himself and us. And then uh, as you sit there and you dwell on God's goodness and the gratitude builds, man, just whatever your hand finds to do, go do it. Motivation's not going to be the problem. Our gratitude for his goodness is going to motivate us and drive us to take care of business with him. Let's pray. Lord, you surely are good to us. But Lord, we forget. So my prayer this morning is simply that you'd help us remember for each one of us, Lord, things that you've done in our life that we say, oh, I'll never forget that, but that we forgot. Bring them back to mind. Prayers that we prayed that were answered. Specifically what you've done for us on the cross, Lord. Help us to be hit with that, with a fresh uh, dose, a fresh realization of that, Lord. Stir up our hearts as we reflect on how good you've been to us. 
We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.